John chapter 20 says this. Then the first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early when it was yet dark unto the sepulcher and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and saith unto them, they have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth and the other disciple and came to the sepulcher. So they ran both of them together and the other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulcher. And he, stooping down, looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. When cometh Simon Peter following him, and went into the sepulchre, and seeth the linen clothes lie, and the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped up together in a place by itself, then went in also the other disciple, which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. For as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again unto their own home. So we have John's rendition of this resurrection morning, Matthew uh, chapter 28, Mark 16, Luke 24. Um, John writing as an old man, 90 AD, is taking it for granted that his readers, which would be you and I as well, are familiar with the, the report given through the synoptists, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and he again supplies things that we have nowhere else. As an old man putting the quill to the page, the Holy Spirit moving on his heart, he kind of broadens the picture for us a bit as he puts this down. Now, important for us, you know, today, every day, apart from the physical resurrection of Jesus, there is no historical basis for Christianity. Apart from the physical, literal resurrection of Jesus' body, there is no historical basis for Christianity. This has to be something that happened in history 2,000 years ago at a place, at a certain time, a certain reality the world had never seen and has never seen since. And without that physical resurrection of Christ, Christianity has no historical basis for reality, for itself. Paul says, if Christ be risen not from the dead, then your faith is in vain and you are still in your sins. It is the centerpiece of what we believe. Interesting, we don't have a description of the resurrection itself. We have the day, we have the angels appearing, we have Jesus appearing, but there's no description in scripture of the actual resurrection. It's almost when Christ was on the cross and the Father laid on him the iniquity of us all and the, the central thing of redemption took place 
it was in darkness. And it was something that took place between the father and the son. Like Abraham saying to the servants, you stay here. And the lad and I, Isaac and I, will go alone and worship. You stay on the side. And now here's another part of this process that happens just between the father and the son. There's no witnesses. There are soldiers that have been stationed at the tomb, we're told in Matthew. And this, these, were, these soldiers stationed there are a special guard of Roman soldiers. Our DevGru, our team, Navy SEAL Team 6 and, you know, Delta Force and our special operators today still read some of the things the Romans wrote about this type of guard. And there was no way anybody's going to get past them. If, you, if that seal had been broken, they would all have been put to death, that guard. And then when they find the person that broke the seal or crucified, if they couldn't find him, but they found out the village he was from, they crucified everybody in his village. Nobody crossed that line. But what happened that morning is Jesus rose from the dead and the Roman guards didn't know it. They were outside. And we're told then that a great angel descends. There's a great earthquake. He takes the stone, kind of tosses it away. He doesn't roll it in the track. He throws it to the side. The soldiers fall down like dead men and they quake. That's, that's really scared, dead and quaking. And uh, they get up and head out of there. And now we have the women coming to the tomb. They would not have come if they knew that the guard was there. Their question on the way to the tomb is who's going to move the stone? They're bringing spices. They want to, in their own way, mourn the death of Jesus. They want to contribute to the process. Certainly, he's received spices wonderfully at the hand of Nicodemus. 65 pounds of myrrh and aloes, which is incredible worth. Um, But we found writings of early rabbis in the Talmud that you were allowed to go minister to a body up to the third day without being considered a cultist or involved in necromancy or something. So here these women come on the third day. They're bringing their spices and so forth. The ground shakes. Soldiers are gone. And Jesus Christ, the resurrection, the process begins with a group of women. In fact, Mark chapter 16, verse 9 says that Jesus Christ on resurrection morning, he first appeareth to Mary Magdalene. She's going to be the first one to see him. But the resurrection itself, you know, it tells us, In Romans chapter 6, that the father raised his son from the dead. It tells us in John chapter 10, verse 17, that Jesus raised himself from the dead. Then it tells us in Romans chapter 8, that the spirit raised Jesus from the dead. So who raised him from the dead? You're right, whatever you were thinking, doesn't matter. But the resurrection story begins here again. John says the first day of the week. Now, they didn't have Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. You know, their week centered around the Sabbath. So this is the first day after the Sabbath, Sunday. The first day of the week, 
cometh Mary Magdalene early when it was yet dark unto the sepulcher. So she's coming early. Matthew says it was beginning to dawn. Mark and Luke both say it was very early in the morning. John says it was actually still dark. And she's coming. She's not in the, Now look, she's coming. She's going to say they've taken away the Lord. She's still calling him Lord, the corpse. They stole the body. When she's talking with Jesus and doesn't realize it's him in verse 13, she says they've taken away my Lord, the dead body. She's up early. Now, it says there in, in the end of verse 2, we don't know where they've laid him. So the other ladies are with her. John's giving us a picture of Mary Magdalene. She's up early. She's coming to the tomb in the dark. She's not afraid of the dark. She's not afraid to be in a, a graveyard in the dark like many of us would. She's not afraid of all the strangers that have crowded everywhere coming up to the Passover. And, and maybe because they're women, they go together. It's early. But she's coming to a dead Jesus. She's up early to pay her respect to a dead Jesus. I'm not up early all the time to spend time with a living Jesus. I wish I was more animated sometimes early in the morning. I was encouraged by Alan Redpath once when he said in the winter he, he prays for blanket victory. You know, I'm good in the summer. I'm light sensitive. And if it's five o'clock and the sunshine, I'm, I'm up. But in the winter, it's five o'clock, it's dark, it's freezing. I'm, I'm under the blank there pretending I'm asleep so the Lord doesn't think I should get up. <laughs> She's up early for a dead Jesus. She loved him. It tells us in Luke chapter 7 that Jesus had delivered her from seven demons. It tells us a few verses previous to that, that whom he forgives the most, ends up loving him the most. And Mary Magdalene knew of her condition under the influence of the enemy. And there are principalities and powers all around us. Mary Magdalene knew of her darkness and uncleanness without Christ. Mary Magdalene knew of her own propensity in her own fallen nature, which we have to comply with those influences. And Mary Magdalene knows what it means now to have been set free. And John says we love him because he first loved us. And she's up early in the dark to be with the body of Jesus. And we need to be up early to be with the living Jesus. You know, um, in that place, for me, in the morning, is the place that when his presence is there, you know, I, I can really say, Lord, you're enough. Whatever else might be going on in my life, Lord, you're enough. Whatever other difficulty or pain or physical problems or world problems, political problems, when all of a sudden 
I'm there with him. I'm able to say, Lord, you're enough. Because it ain't about this world. You rose from the dead. And this is a historic reality. And because that happened, and I believe I am also going to rise from the dead. And this then is all just some type of fog. This is just a deception. The truth of all of this is the resurrection is in the center of our lives. It's in the center of what we believe. It's about the next world. And when I find him, when I, I, I'm, I'm dull enough that he's graciously kind of lets me sense his presence, I'm able to say, Lord, you're enough. You know, A.W. Tozier said about prayer, he said, you need to pray until you realize you're praying. Then you need to pray until you realize he's listening. Then you need to pray until you realize he's answering. That was his formula for prayer. And I think that so often I, I get there, you know, I can pray quickly, but sometimes I get to settle in. And, and it can take time. It can take sometimes 20 minutes. It can take a half hour. And all of a sudden, for me to be just sensing him there and say, you're enough. I have a living Jesus. She's up here early in the morning for a dead Jesus. There's a, a measure of jeopardy. You're in the dark. You're in a graveyard. Who wants to do that? I don't look forward to that early in the morning. Strangers, there's the, there's the Jews, there's the Romans, there's threat. Remarkably, she's there. And it says that she comes to the sepulcher and she sees the stone taken away from the sepulcher. So when she gets there, at either at a distance or up close with the other women, because she's going to say, we don't know where they've laid him. Mary Magdalene evidently immediately assumes that it's foul play, that the Jews or gray robbers, somebody, that they've taken the body. And it says here, then she begins to run to Peter and John. As we put the picture together, what we find out is the other women stay at the tomb and an angel appears to them and speaks to them. And tells them, why are you seeking the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen, as he said. He, she, they, they said, but go tell his disciples that he goes before you. And Peter. Mary Magdalene hadn't seen the angel. When she comes to Peter and John, she doesn't relate that. She says, they've taken the Lord. You know, she sees a stone taken away. Verse 2 says, she runneth. And cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. And she says to them, they've taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher. And we know not where they have laid him. So she comes running. She knows where Peter and John are, remarkably. And John, you know, he's taken the Lord's mother in. Evidently, he's taken Peter in as well who had denied the Lord, who had wept bitterly, who's broken. She knows where they are. And she goes running there to Simon Peter. And then John says, and to that other disciple whom Jesus loved. Ninety years old, over that, quill to the page. He's writing this like he's still there. Of all of the mornings of his life, there are probably no morning like this, you know, etched in his memory. 
And remarkably, he, say, he, he changes something. Normally, he says he's the disciple whom Jesus loves, agape. It's a love with purpose, with direction. But here he changes the word, and he said, that disciple whom Jesus, filial. The disciple whom Jesus was fond of. You know, he's kind of, you know, he loves us with a divine love. He, agape, he loves us all. But John, as a nine-year-old man writing, he said, you know, she came to Peter and that other disciple who Jesus really liked, who Jesus was buds with, who Jesus was fond of. When John writes his 16th chapter of the gospel, he tells us that the Father loves, filios us, that he is fond of us as well. Again, you know, my time alone with him, sometimes I think, well, he loves me. He's got to love me. The word says he does, you know. But the amazing thing to me when I'm alone is he likes me. He likes me. He loves me, of course, but he likes me. He's fond of me. I'm his son. His spirit in my heart says, Abba, Father. When there's some type of a delight of a father and a child spending time together. John's thinking as he writes this as an old man that morning. I can still smell it. I can still hear the doves singing Song of Solomon. It was that time of the year. And he, and he says, you know, she comes running in. And uh, she looks at Peter and I and says, the, the, the grave robbers got him, you know. And she told Pete and she told me, you know, the one who Jesus was fond of. And she said, they've taken his body. We don't know where they put it. She doesn't say who they are. She's either assuming the Jews or the Romans or grave robbers, something. And we don't know where they've put it, she says. And Peter, therefore, relative to that, went forth. So Peter evidently is the first one to get up and move. And the other disciple came to the sepulcher. So they both ran together. Very interesting structure here. It says, the Peter and that other disciple came. When it tells us they came, it, it, the idea is they went forth. You'll see there. That means, that's eritus. That's a historical fact. They got up and they started to move. When it says they came, that's imperfect. They were in the process of coming. They were on their way is what that word means. They were in this process. And then in verse 4, it changes to, and they ran. They began to run and continue to run. What transpired there, most scholars feel, is that the other women are coming from the sepulcher, and they encounter Peter and John walking that way, and they say, an angel appeared to us. They, they told us he's not there. He's, he's, he's risen. And they said that we should tell you guys, you too, Peter, they mentioned you, you know. And, and at this point, they take off. They start running. They hear this. Some change takes place. They both ran together, 
And the other disciple did outrun Peter. When you're 90 years old, that's a fond memory. The other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulcher. No doubt Peter came seconds later. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet he went not in. So we have this interesting picture now of John. He gets there and it says, stooping down now, the translators, uh, you know, no doubt King James 1600s thinking the, the tomb, this, this low tomb, they wrote stooping down. Uh, the word paracupsis is used regularly in the Septuagint and it always speaks of peering through a door or a window. So the idea is he gets there and he looks through and he uses the word blepo looking saw, this is what John saw, the linen clothes lying, yet he went not in. So John gets there. It's getting light now. He looks in the door and he sees the linen clothes laying there. The women have said he's, he's risen. He's not there. It's with the angels. And he sees that because the angels had said to the women, come and see the place where he laid. And as they went in and looked, the linen clothes were there flat. The body was gone. So John looks in and the, the word there, look, is just ble blepo. He glanced. He just looked in. It caught his eye. He saw it. It's just a, something that becomes visible. He sees it there, and it says, but he didn't go in. Now, he's not worried about it getting defiled. So I used to think that. You read those things. Like, John is just frozen. Peter's going to come and blurt right by him, you know, what Peter's going to do. They're so different. But God has placed them together. I think that's important for us to realize. Paul, when he writes to the Galatians, says, I was there and saw John and Peter, the pillars of the church. And yet they're so different. John is introspective. He's mystical. He sits. He's quiet. He listens. Peter hacks your ear off and then asks if you're listening. You know, I mean, he's just a different character. You know, ready, fire, aim, you know, as Peter. So, but, but they're so close. And I think it's important for us to realize there are going to be people in the body of Christ that are vastly different than we are. They operate vastly different, but they, we have the same commonality. But we can be so different and be together. If you're married, you realize that. <clears throat> John stops and he looks in. What's going on in his mind? We don't know. What, what is he thinking about? What are his thoughts as he's looking in there? And then it tells us in verse 6, it says, Then cometh, has to be a number of seconds later, not long, Simon Peter following him. And look, it says, He went into the sepulcher. He just blew by John. He goes right in and seeth the linen clothes lie, and the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped up or rolled up, folded up, it's indefinite, uh, together in a place by itself. So now Peter gets there and he runs in. The tomb is getting light and it says that he seeth, tells us it's, it's in action, the TH, he is seeing, he's looking. John is reliving it. Peter is seeing 
but as theria. We get the word theater from it, movie theater. We get the movie theorized from it, theorio. Peter went in, and the idea is he inspected. He is beholding. He is making careful observation. Peter standing there. John had just glanced. Peter now is taking it in, and he's looking. There's no evidence of vandalism. There's no evidence of grave robbers. The clothes that were wrapped around him are just laying there flat. The body's gone. It's not like Lazarus where they had to unwrap him. He came hopping out. They had to untie him, loose him, Jesus said. No, these linen clothes are just laying there. And the sudarium, the, the piece that was wrapped around his head and helped keep the jaw shut, is taken off. It's folded up and laid by itself. Don't you wish your kids would do that in the morning? The bed is still made, you know. You know, the, the, Peter now is, is, is looking at this. Peter is investigating. Peter is making observation. And what he's looking at is these clothes laying there. Well, why, why did Jesus do that? Why did Jesus get up? Was it before the angel rolled the stone away? I'm sure it was. It's in the dark. But it can't be dark because it's Jesus. He's the light of the world. He comes out of the clothes, the shroud. He was naked physically inside of them. When he comes out, he's clothed in immortality and glory. The, the inside of that tomb is lit up. The guys outside are standing guard, have no idea. He takes the piece that was on his head and he folds it up and he lays it He's probably thinking Peter's going to need a little extra here to get this. He lays it to the side. You know, then he leaves. The angel comes down and rolls the stone away. Not so he can get out, but so that we can get in and see that he's not there. And Peter is beholding. He's, he's making observation of this order. How... The, 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 the linen wrappings are laying there flat with all of the spices and all the, that wealth of that wealth. And the, the sudarium that was wrapped around his head is folded, laying by itself. It says he sees that and he's thinking he passed through the shroud as he's going to do with the doorways when they're locked in, in later in this chapter. He's going to come and he's going to go in the same way as he did over the 40 days. He passed through those linens. And Peter's making the observation and the order of it all is amazing him. And verse 8 says, Then went in also the other disciple, which came first, he's got to do it again, which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. Now he uses a third word. The first word means it's blepo, just to glance. And then the second word of Peter is therio, to observe, now, this third word to see, Aiden, it is to perceive. It's to look at and to understand, not just to make, you know, an observation, but to perceive. John comes in now, and he's looking, and he perceives. These clothes are laying flat. The body's gone. And it says he comes to the logical conclusion he believes. Now, what he believes is Jesus came out of the wrappings. 
He doesn't believe the body of truth he will believe in the future based on the scripture. What he believes at this point in time is the, there's the resurrection. He came out. That's what he's believing at this point in time as he, as he looks at this. And look, for you and I, later in the same chapter, Jesus is going to say to Thomas, blessed are those who believe without seeing says, John saw and then believed. But the vast majority, the vast majority of saints through the ages have believed without seeing. Peter in his first epistle says, whom you've not seen but you love with joy unspeakable, full of glory, but even though you haven't seen him. John sees, at this point, not him, but the linen clothes. He believes the only conclusion he can come to, the resurrection, has taken place. It's why the angels showed the women the clothes and so forth. Christ is risen at this point in time. You know, you know people who are going to say to you, I, I won't believe unless I can see. Well, this whole scene is telling us seeing is not believing. You're not going to believe unless you see Jesus. Maybe you're sitting here, you're, you haven't come to faith in Christ. We ain't seen him either. Everybody's going to see him. But you want to see him as Savior. It tells us in Revelation chapter 1 verse 7 that every eye shall see him. That all the tribes of the earth shall mourn because of him. Everybody's going to see him. But now we have this incredible opportunity to believe without seeing. There's a blessed are those, Jesus said, who believe without seeing. There's a particular blessing that is ours. And Jesus, now coming out of this tomb, clothed, you know, it says, our body shall be fashioned like unto his glorious body. He's clothed in light, no doubt, Revelation 19, when it speaks of you and I in glory, the saints are clothed in fine linen, white and bright. And the fine linen is the righteousness, plural, interesting, the righteousness as of the saints. That in heaven, we're not going to be clothed in whatever we're clothed in now. We're going to be clothed in these white shrouds. And it says that's the righteousness of the saints given us by Christ. In the Garden of Eden, no doubt, Adam and Eve were clothed with that. He was created in God's image and likeness. He then was clothed in the righteousness of Christ, Adam, before he fell. Because when they fall, the first thing they know, Lord, I knew I was naked and I was ashamed. The light went out. Jesus Christ turned the light back on for us. And one day, that's going to be us. And it says... The billions in the holy city are going to shine like the stars of heaven in a place where everything reflects and refracts light. That's going to be quite a show. It's going to be quite a show. John sees here and it says that he believes, he perceives, he understands completely now as he sees these empty linen cloths. And it says, John says, for as yet... They knew not, it's in a perfect tense, they, they hadn't known, they're not knowing 
the scripture that he must, and you want to circle the word must there, rise from the dead. They knew not the scripture. Look, they saw the empty grave clothes laying there. People always say, well, if I could see this, they saw them. The children of Israel, you know, they saw the plagues on Egypt. Children of Israel heard the cries on the Passover night with the blood of the lamb on their door. Children of Israel saw the the Red Sea part. The children of Israel saw the pillar of a cloud at night, a pillar of fire, you know, at night, the pillar of cloud during the day. The children of Israel saw the manna falling from heaven. The children of Israel saw the water gushing forth from the rock and they turned to idolatry. You know, the Bible tells us creation speaks to us. Human beings who want to know the truth, there's enough evidence that the things that are created, the poema of God, speak to the heart of mankind. But man suppresses the truth in unrighteousness and doesn't want to know. I love apologetics. I love people who present evidence to us that encourages my faith. But God will only have faith that stands on the word of God, on the scripture. They did not yet believe the scripture, that Christ must be risen from the dead. They knew not, you know, and they still were not knowing at this point the real basis of our faith. It wasn't verse 6 where he glanced in and saw the clothes. It wasn't even in verse 8 where he understood, he perceived that still wasn't to be the basis for their faith. In Luke, it tells us this in chapter 24, Jesus with the road, on the road to Emmaus with the two men walking with him at that time, telling him they're so sad because Christ had died He says to them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to entered into his glory? Ought not. There it is. He must rise. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. It's going to say over in verse 44 in Luke, it says, And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding. Now John and Peter are starting to grasp it all. That they might understand the scriptures. And he said unto them, Thus it is written. And thus it behooveth Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. So clearly it says that the Lord himself would have our faith not based on evidence that we can see, but on the scripture itself, which has the power to speak to the human heart. Charles Spurgeon said this in one of my favorite things when he described the two men on the road to Emmaus. It says, the Lord Jesus, he was not ashamed to exercise his calling before an audience of two persons. 
Neither does he now refuse to become the teacher of even one. Let us court the company of so ex excellent an instructor, for till he is made unto us wisdom, we shall never be wise unto salvation. This unrivaled tutor used as his class book the best of books. Although able to reveal fresh truth, he preferred to expound the old. He knew by his omniscience what was the most instructive way of teaching, and by turning at once to Moses and the prophets, he showed us that the surest road to wisdom is not speculation, reasoning, or reading human books, but meditation upon the word of God. The readiest way to be spiritually rich in heavenly knowledge is to dig in this mine of diamonds to gather pearls from this heavenly sea. When Jesus himself sought to enrich others, he wrought in the quarry of the Holy Scripture. What a remarkable thing. John believed at that point in time, but he says, you know, but we didn't yet know the Scriptures. The, the, the picture, you know, it, be, it became real. It became, we, we ended up building our lives upon the rock and not on sound. It became sand. It became real to us. But he said at this point we didn't realize, and he says that the Scriptures must be fulfilled, that Jesus must rise from the dead. Listen, there's a moral quality to the promises of God. The things that God has said are going to come to pass must come to pass. Because there's a morality attached to God being truthful and honest. When they preached in the book of Acts, they quoted Psalm 16, verse 10, about the resurrection in Acts 2, 24, in chapter 13, 35. Again, in Acts 13, 33, Paul preaching, he uses Psalm 2, 7, speaking of the resurrection. In Hebrews 6, 20, Psalm 110, verses 1 and 4 are mentioned. These things were written. These things must take place. You and I are living in an age where we know the scripture. He said, we didn't know it yet. We know it. We know Jerusalem is going to become the trembling, you know, the, a cup of trembling to all the nations of the world. We know that Jerusalem is going to be the stumbling stone to all the nations of the world. We know that God said that the Jews would be gathered from in the last days from all the nations of the world, gathered back to their homeland. These things must come to pass if God is moral, because he said they would and he promised that they would. Look, everything looks like it's out of control. It is all under control. Is that easy for me as a human, you know, to, to harmonize that with a God of love? No, it isn't. If I could understand everything about him, he wouldn't be God. And who wants a, who wants a God that ain't smarter than you anyway? His ways are above our ways. They're past finding out. But we have his word. And our faith today is not to be based on News, we're, we're, we're bathed in so much, you know, data. It never stops with social media. With the, you know, I'm a news junkie. I get up in the morning. I don't know how I lived without a cell phone. You know, there was a point in my life I didn't know how I lived without a beeper. 
The Bieber was a hassle because the Bieber then had to go find a payphone. You had to have change. You had, you know, the, you know. But now news: what's happening in Israel? Up every morning, I, I'm there. Are we in World War III yet? What's going on? You know, weather. What's going to happen today? How do I get dressed? How do I do this? Emails. You know, it just eats up so much of my mind and of my life. But I have the Word of God, and if I'm as hungry for, and I'm. If I'm as bathed with the Holy Scripture as I am with all this data that kills me and drowns me and suffocates me, I'm standing on solid ground. I am standing on solid ground. I am praying for the peace of Jerusalem because I know the Scripture. I'm praying for the return of Christ because I know the Scripture. I am hoping to be raptured any day because I know the scripture. John said, we didn't yet know the scripture, that this must happen. It has to. There's no alternative. The things we're seeing around us in the world today must happen. There's no alternative. They've been written out by a holy God who only tells the truth. They're happening all around us. It's a necessity. There's no way around that. Peter says... And he was there, obviously, when we made note unto you the power and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We didn't use cunningly devised fables, but we ourselves were eyewitnesses of his power and his glory when he appeared to us in the holy mount. And he spoke to us. We heard his voice speak from that, you know, that cloud. And he says, but you now have a, a, a more sure word of prophecy unto which you do well to take heed as into a light shining more and more into a perfect day because we have the scripture he says and those things spoken by the prophets they weren't spoken by the will of man but they were spoken by the very spirit of God Peter says you have in the scripture a more sure word of prophecy than I would have giving you a description of the transfiguration or my experience with the risen Christ. You have something that's more certain than that, and to which you do well to take heed. Amen? You have God's word. You know, it says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. If you can get the first word in that verse down, the rest is true. Thy. It's the word of God. Not just the Bible for Bible study. The worry word of God. It's, we're living in the middle of it. It tells us how to live. It tells us how to love one another. It tells us how to be ready. It tells us our freedom in worship. It tells us we can come boldly to the throne of grace. Because it's his Thy word. It therefore has authority and a moral responsibility because he spoke it. Wonderfully, then John says to us, you know, after this, that, that, that for as yet they knew not the scripture, that he must, the angels knew it, he, they told the women, reminded him that he said that, he must rise again. Echnacron, out from among the dead. Then the disciples went away again unto their own 
home unto their own. Home is inferred. Then Peter and John leave. They walk away from that empty tomb. They're thinking about what the women said. They're thinking about what they've seen. And they go home again. And what was that conversation like? You see, there was an elderly woman there who was grieving. Her name was Mary, the mother of our Lord. And Peter and John came in and they lifted up her head. They said, you're not going to believe this. Mary came and told us that somebody had moved the stone, so we headed off to the tomb. On the way, the other women that were there early came to us and said that angels had appeared there and talked to them and told them that your son is alive. He's risen. Jesus is risen. And we got there and we saw the grave clothes laying flat. He just came out of them. There's nothing there. Mary. And what went on in her heart then? She was glad those boys came home. I guarantee you. So we know what to believe, correct? You can't just look at politics in the world and say, how'd this happen? This needs to, you know, we need to do this. We need to do that. We need to do that. Look, it says, Daniel tells us, you know what? God's the one who takes one ruler down in a country and he puts another ruler there. It's his decision. And sometimes he puts over a nation even the basest of men. Are the rulers in the world today were appointed by Jesus because he wants to come get us really soon and he needed them to mess everything up. He really missed his kids, so he put these people in power to get us home. And you need to live like you believe that he could come at any moment. Amen? Because I believe he could. Let's stand. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for these things. We look at them. Our hearts are stirred. Lord, it, it, we, we, re, we revisit and revisit and revisit the things you said about the days we're living in, Lord, because of our own propensity to compromise and do stupid things. We revisit and revisit and revisit the verses, Lord, that speak about your love and your forgiveness, about a righteousness that we could never have on our own, Lord, because this world is disintegrating. We revisit and revisit and revisit the verses that talk about a city, streets are gold, and walls are jewel. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more suffering, no more death, no more sickness, no more tears. Oh, Lord, let what we believe today and tomorrow not be based on the Internet and speculation and conspiracy theories and everything that's going to blow away like dust in the wind when your word abides forever. Lord, let what we believe take fresh root in the scripture. We know we're asking according to your will, Lord Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.